One of the greatest feelings in the world is actually selling something that you've created. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Master, the weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn the key to product photos that lead to conversions, what is a post-purchase survey, and what is the most important question to ask, and why they strictly stick to YouTube for influencer marketing. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Popoff from Popoff Leather. Popoff Leather is a bespoke leather goods manufacturer that uses full-grain USA leather and produces everything in-house and was started in 2013 and based out of Nelson, BC, Canada, and just broke the seven-figure revenue mark for the first time last year. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, so your first million-dollar revenue year last year, how did it feel? Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I never, I never thought that that day would come, um, to be quite honest. Yeah. And uh, I was just mentioning to you, uh, you know, a few seconds ago that uh, I remember listening to your podcast in our basement uh, when it was just me and my wife, you know, fulfilling orders and shipping them out um, ourselves through, our, you know, just in our house. And now we're at uh, 12 employees and it's it's totally surreal uh, to be talking to you. So, um, yeah, thanks awesome. again for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, glad to have you on. So that, that's awesome that you guys have grown uh, throughout the years. So tell us about where the, take us back to, I guess, 2013. Where did the idea come from? Sure. Uh, so essentially it, it was born out of a hobby. Um, I worked at, uh, you know, our university, I did a, a um, I did a arts degree and <clears throat> excuse me, after, uh, after I graduated, you know, I was kind of aimless. I, I took on a full-time job, you know, office job, that kind of thing. And, uh, my spare time, I just picked up a hobby that was kind of related to art school, you know, uh, leather working is kind of sculptural. So it, it kind of appealed to me and, I always wanted a, you know, a cool wallet that didn't have branding and it was, you know, very minimalist. Um, it was kind of hard to find on the market at the time. And so I decided to make one and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of took it from there, you know, got obsessed with it. Um, watched a bunch of YouTube videos, got really into the leather working community, asking lots of questions anywhere where I can find information on, on leather work. I just kind of devoured it and, um, it kind of snowballed from there. So, you know, I, I eventually made that wallet that I really liked and uh, Jill convinced me to throw it up on Etsy. And, uh, you know, I had, I had up to that point, I had no e-commerce or no, you know, SEO experience or anything like that. So I was like, okay, I'll try it. And, um, you know, other people started buying it. So then I took that money and bought better tools, better leather. And it just, you know, just kind of one thing fed into, into the other. So while we were both working our day jobs, we were slowly building this this Etsy store and, you know, eventually got to the point where I had to, you know, make a choice. Either I was going to stay in the office doing, you know, what I hated or pursuing my passion. Got it. So, yeah, this 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 uh, pursuit of this passion of yours, I think lots of people are kind of doing something similar. They're pursuing some kind of passion. Maybe there's leather working as well. And they're selling, you know, handmade goods here and there, maybe on Etsy like you started or at local markets. But you, you eventually were able to take it to that that next level. What do you think really kind of clicked for you to allow you guys to accelerate beyond just selling, you know, one at a time on Etsy to eventually selling on your own site and, you know, building a, a business that can then that turn over a million dollars in one year? Yeah. So, you know, like like I mentioned, we, we reached that turning point. So, you know, we were on Etsy up until... I was essentially making the same as I was at my day job. So it was at that point where, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, Hey, maybe if I, 
you know, became a little bit more serious about this and actually started to learn about things like, you know, SEO, um, proper product photography, product copy, all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, launched a third party, web, like my own website on Shopify. Um, maybe I could grow this thing. And, you know, a, a lot of our, our growth comes from word of mouth. You know, we, it, it was only a maybe halfway through last year where we actually started doing cost per click advertising up until that point, it's all been, um, you know, word of mouth and just treating our customers like we would expect to be treated. So my background, a lot of it is customer service. Um, so, you know, I know what it's like to treat a customer well. And I, and that kind of philosophy is sort of beaten into me through the course of my, my early career. Um, so I kind of took that approach with our product. So, um, you know, learning from customer feedback, not taking it personally, um, you know, making it right, even if it costs a free wallet or whatever. Um, and then that sort of caught on. Um, and, you know, if you look at our reviews today, you can see some one star reviews on our website and um, we've turned that around. So like people will go, you know what, the wallet wasn't for me, but, uh, you know, I'm giving it five stars for customer service. And then they'll tell their friends who might be in, a, in, the, in the market for a, a, that type of wallet. Um, so yeah, for me, the, the turning point was, you know, figuring out if I wanted to pursue this and then, you know, gradually building up this, this, this sort of brand where we treat our customers really well and we produce a, a product that we stand behind. Got it. So you taught yourself basically leatherworking from scratch. How did it, how did you start feeling, or when did you start feeling comfortable enough where you were like, let me show this to the world and try to get someone to pay me for it. I mean, you weren't ever feeling like maybe I'm not good enough. Like did you ever have those kind of thoughts and how did you handle them? Oh yeah. Um, I mean all the time it's, it's, your biggest critics are going to be the people who give you money for what you're doing. So, um, I mean, one of the greatest feelings in the world is actually selling something that you've created because, um, there's no truer, uh, I guess, feedback from a customer, um, other than them giving you their hard earned money for something that you've created. Um, so to get to that point, of course it took a lot of convincing, you know, like I said, Jill had to convince me to kind of put it on Etsy uh, I wasn't expecting much, you know, I was really happy with what I made. Um, but again, you know, having that art school background, you're used to a lot of criticism. Um, so, you know, some customers may not have liked it. I took that feedback and kind of incorporated it into, you know, the, the products that we were making, um, and just kind of built it from there. Got it. Give us an idea of the timelines. How long between the time where you first started pursuing this hobby to when you, let's say, got your first sale on Etsy? Yeah, actually, it was really quick. Um, I think it was within the first week of, of putting up on Etsy. And of course, you know, back in 2013, um, there was a lot less competition, especially in sort of the handmade market. Etsy's really kind of taken off in the last 10 years or so. And we were kind of at the cusp of that. Um, so there wasn't a ton of co uh, competition. Um, but uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't take too long at all. And um, I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons for that. Like I had some some pretty good skills in photography, so that helped a lot. Um, you know, I spent time kind of understanding how Etsy's algorithm worked. So they're the way they weighted keywords and, and titles and stuff like that. So that helped a lot. Um, but yeah. And then, and the other thing that that's kind of frowned upon is, um, you know, I, I priced it fairly cheap. So I had no comprehension on cost of goods sold and I didn't really care. I just wanted to see if I could fund my hobby and uh, eventually take it from there. Got it. So when you started getting these sales, you mentioned that you were reinvesting back into the business. Tell us about how you did that. Like, what were you reinvesting into? 
Oh yeah, for sure. So leatherworking is a very expensive hobby to get into. Um, it's similar to, to carpentry in that there's, you know, a specialized tool for every sort of, um, thing that you want to do. Like for example, on a, uh, a wallet, you, you would, you know, you need glue, you need thread, you need a special tool to punch the holes. You need the, the needles and then, um, you know, you got to finish the edges. So you have to sand them. You have to get like a special beveling tool just for the edges. And then if you want to do a different project, you might need a whole different set of tools. So like maybe you want to use rivets or whatever. So what I did was I created a, a product, um, you know, I would sell it, get enough money and then maybe think about making something new. Okay. Well, you know, what do I need to buy for that? And then just kind of save up that money that I was, that revenue that I was generating and then maybe buy the tools to, to do that. Or, you know, there's different grades of leather. We started off with a very cheap stuff and we kind of worked our way up to what we're using now, which is Horween. And uh, that stuff's really expensive, especially when you're learning, um, you know, you kind of want to practice on the cheap stuff first. And then as you get good, work with the, with work with the good stuff. Um, so it wasn't just tools. It was, it was uh, material as well. Got it. So I think a lot of times people, when they think about reinvesting, there's a couple of options where they can either hire, they can spend it on marketing, spend it on like marketing tools, or in your case, you spent it on the tools to improve the, the product. Did you find that investing in the tools for, for creating your product, did that equate like directly, like measurably to growing the business? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, every time we launch a new product, um, and, you know, I'm kind of talking from, you know, my perspective now. Uh, but even back then, you know, launching a new product on Etsy, it, it increases your exposure because now all of a sudden you have more things that potential customers are going to find you for. So, you know, launching a different type of product, um, you know, from wallets to passport covers to um, book covers to belts to, to whatever, um, you're giving yourself this sort of this breadth of um, product offerings that more or different types of customers will find you with. So that did, you know, essentially equate to, to more business for sure. Um, you know, looking back on it now, that's, you know, that's only one part of the equation for sure. But at the time when, you know, when I was just starting, I didn't care. I was, you know, I was super stoked that people were giving me money to, to kind of do what I loved. And, you know, I was just kind of pushing that, um, in different directions to see what kind of products I could make. Got it. So the buying of the tools allow you to expand your product catalog and you're speaking from, from what worked for you when you got, when you started, if you were to give advice to someone or if you were to do it all over again, and the goal is to, let's say, you know, grow as quickly as possible, would you have invested differently? Uh, I don't think so because there's a lot of lessons that are sort of coupled with that learning experience that, you know, are invaluable and, and people can kind of tell you how to do something. And at the end of the day, you learn best from experience and how to kind of grow from that. So, <clears throat> to be honest, no. I, I, I thought Etsy was a fantastic uh, stepping stone, and it still is. Um, you know, it's great for learning how to do product photography, how to um, get your feet wet with SEO, um, you know, uh, customer service, and then even uh, shipping, which I found very challenging in the beginning. Um, you know, understanding Canada Post was just a nightmare for me because I had never done anything like that before. Um, but Etsy gives you all those tools or all those opportunities to kind of learn. Uh, whereas if you kind of jump into something like Shopify with no previous e-commerce or SEO background, there's there's a little bit of digging that needs to be done because you don't you don't necessarily have that marketplace in front of you, and you have to kind of drive traffic on top of all those other things. 
Got it. So let's continue down this timeline then. So you launched on Etsy, started selling some products, started reinvesting back into the business. And between 2013 until when was it before you realized that this was something, before you hit that kind of crossroads where you decided to quit the day job and go full-time into your, your own business? Yeah, so I would say it was about a year and a half. Um, definitely, you know, you you have eight hours at your day job, and then you have eight hours in the evening, and then eight hours are you know less for sleeping and and personal life. And uh, I was very fortunate during that time that um, you know my wife, my now wife, um, helped me through that. So, you know, uh, we were essentially working for free for a year and a half, and that's you know it's very common with uh, entrepreneurs who are starting something; they have a passion, and um, you know it doesn't matter how many hours they're up at night as long as they're you know, that there's a goal in sight. Um, our goal was, you know, quitting that day job and, and doing the something we love full time. Um, but yeah, a year and a half of, of steady grinding like that. Uh, and then we got to the point where, you know, we were able to make that decision. It was a very, very difficult decision for sure. Yes. T- tell us about that transition when you made that decision. Actually, talk to us about the decision. Like what were, what were some of your concerns going into making a decision like this? I think there's others out there that either are making this decision or approaching it and, you know, share some of your concerns and how you kind of work through them. Yeah. So, I mean, my initial goal was, you know, if I can, if I can bring in enough, the same amount of revenue that I'm getting on a paycheck, um, why am I at my day job, you know, staring at a computer screen all day and and doing something I hate when I could be happy. Um, my biggest concern was, is it sustainable? You know, like some months could be better than others. Like, how do I know people are going to still be buying wallets for me? And, um, you know, essentially what I did was I gave myself a deadline. I said, Hey, Jill, you know, if, if I can maintain this for, let's say another six months, I'm going to quit my job. Let's just do it. I mean, we can always find another job if this doesn't work out. And, um, you know, thankfully she, she was on board with that. And, uh, yeah, it, if anything, we, we made more money in those six months. It was, it was grueling because, you know, I felt like I could quit at any time. Like what, what's the point of me, you know, doing, <laughs> doing this job. I could, I could focus on my business and grow it even more, but, um, you know, I gave, I gave myself that six months just to have that reassurance. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it happened and here I am. Guys, so you weren't only unhappy with the day job, but you saw like a path that would open up if you had more time, you had more energy to devote towards the, the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was, I was sitting and staring for like, just staring at a computer screen all day. And I didn't, I did not care about the work that I was doing. I was there doing it. Um, but at, you know, at the back of my mind, I was just thinking about the business, you know, I was thinking about, you know, um, learning about photography, you know, how can I make a wallet a little bit more efficiently, but keep the same level of craftsmanship, you know, just all these things running in the back of my mind. And then as soon as I got home, this, this flood of, you know, inspiration that I've been sitting on all day, kind of put me through the next eight hours in the evening, um, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I had thought that, you know, once I quit the job, then I could, you know, put even more hours and, and that's essentially what I do now. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you, you know, if you're forced to, uh, work on your business, you're going to do it, especially if you're passionate about it and it's, it's gonna, you're just going to grow. I, I have no doubt in my mind. If you're, if you're passionate about something, you're, you're going to make it happen. Got it. So was that what you were doing? Like the, like looking for more efficient ways to create the product? Like what, what, mm-hmm. what did you do in that first like six months? What, what, what kind of thing were you able to focus on, uh, once you freed yourself up from the day job? 
Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, just to, to give you an example, uh, in the beginning, we had these cardboard templates for all the pieces of like, say, a wallet or a book cover. I would trace it and then I would cut it out by hand. Um, you know, I reinvested some of our revenue into a clicker press, uh, which is kind of essentially an industrial cookie cutter. Um, so I had one of those in like our basement and, you know, it, it, it allowed us to, to make more wallets quicker. Um, you know, and, and what I quickly started to realize was that customers would be more willing to purchase something from you if you offered, you know, better lead time. So up until that point, it was three to four weeks because we had so many orders. And then all of a sudden we get this clicker press and we can bring it down to, you know, two weeks. And then, you know, I see this, this, um, this order volume start to creep up and I'm like, Oh, you know, this is interesting. And then that sort of, um, you know, snowballed into uh, thinking about how customers make a purchase on a website. And that quickly became my new fascination. You know, after I started hiring employees to help us with the business, I started looking at ways to um, reduce friction points on our website, basically conversion rate optimization. And that, that you know, that's now my, my, my passion, um, I guess my day-to-day passion as well as leather work. Um, so... Yeah, definitely want to talk about that. Definitely want to talk about the conversion rate optimization. I think a lot of people are, are want to obviously improve on their site. Before we get there, though, you mentioned photography a couple of times. I want to touch base on this thing. So, what what was uh what, what are some things that I guess are important in terms of product photography, whether it be on Etsy or on your on your own Shopify site that you see people maybe missing or making a mistake? Yeah. So one of the most important things for me is um, obviously product photography. So when I look at selling online, there, there are two really critical things. One is, you know, are you optimized for search? So are people going to find you in a search listing if they type leather wallet? If so, good. And then the second most important thing is, um, you know, your photography. So, you know, on Etsy, you have to stand out from the crowd. So very early on, um, you know, we were looking at how other people were presenting themselves in images. And a lot of it was the white background, you know, like Amazon, whatever the standard is. And, um, so I was like, well, okay, how do I stand out from this? Well, I'll put a background in our, in our photo. So we did that. And I felt like that increased our, our presence in the search, search listing. So people would see all these, you know, standard images and then ours would just kind of pop out. So people would naturally click on it. Um, for me, photography is, is, you know, such a fundamental skill, especially when, you know, you're selling online nobody walks into your house and, and, and picks up a wallet and smells and feels it. You have to kind of convey that, um, through photography. So, um, if I had a piece of advice to give anyone who's selling online is just to dial in your photography, learn how to do it yourself, get a nice camera. It's going to pay for itself, you know, a hundred times over. Um, but yeah, photography is key. I think, um, with, with, uh, selling online and, and, you know, keeping it consistent. So, um, your Shopify store, make sure all the, the white balances are the same, make sure all your, your, um, products are, are sort of lined up the same. Um, um, you know, we talk a little bit about conversion rate optimization. So for per, if someone goes to a product page and there's options, make sure there's pictures for every one of those options. So one of my biggest, um, tasks this year was actually photographing every permutation of wallet and, um, sorry, every permutation of leather color and thread color that we had available. So each product um, up until this year had, I think we had eight leather colors and, and six thread choices. So you can imagine trying to photograph all those, all those different combinations. So we actually, um, we pared it down to our most popular combinations. And um, yeah, as of a couple of months ago, we've, 
we've, we have all that photography now, and uh, I've noticed a, a considerable lift in conversion rate because of that. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And whenever I go to a site and they don't have every single combination possible, and I change, I pick the you know different combination, and then the up the picture, the photo doesn't update. It makes me really unsure about whether I want to purchase or not because the expectation is that it will change, right? So so expected nowadays that if you don't make sure you have that a bit, make sure you have every permutation, it it certainly will detract from a lot of credibility and trust in the site and it's confidence, you know, from the customer. Exactly, and. And, and if I could just add one thing, the other thing that we notice is if you don't have that picture on your website, they're going to go away from your website on Google and look for it. And then all of a sudden you've lost that customer because they could get distracted or whatever and forget what they're doing. So you want to keep them on your site and, and give them all the information they need. Right. And then you also mentioned along the same lines is that you don't want to just think about your photos in a silo just on your site, but also think mm-hmm. about where your photos might appear next to other products, especially if you're selling in a marketplace like Etsy, or even if you're just, you're just like trying to optimize it for like Google Images, you're not going to be the only photo that shows up. You're going to be next to others. So how do you make sure that you stand out amongst you know, the competing photos? Yep, exactly, exactly. Got it. So like maybe, maybe this last point is like, what is like a, when you look at a good, when you go to a website and you see a really good product photo, what are some of the most common attributes that make it, a compelling photo in terms of likelihood to get a customer to, to actually buy the product? Well, I, you know, I kind of touched on that. Like, how how do you uh, convey a sense of smell or convince, convey a sense of touch? Um, you know, for me, for our leather products, an important aspect are, are both of those. And we can't, you know, every everyone who comes to our website can't touch or feel or smell any of this stuff. So I have to somehow communicate that through our, for, through our photography. So things like texture, um, you know, uh, the shadow, um, the way that your finger presses into the leather gives you a sense of softness and touch. So I try to, um, you know, like say if I was buying boots, like you go to um, Viberg or Oak Street Bootmakers, and they do really good product photography. You can almost get a, a sense of, of how smooth the leather is or how it feels just by looking at the photos. Um, so if you have something that's very tactile, it's it's good to, to consider those types of senses and how you would want to portray that in a photo. How, how do you, how do you do that? How do you convey the <laughs> smell in a, in a photo? I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, haven't figured hard. out the, I haven't figured out the smell, but uh, definitely the touch, you know, like I mentioned, you know, ha- seeing how the shadows kind of caress where you're, where you're holding the wallet or how you're, you know, how we, um, uh, it's hard to explain, but if you look at some of the, the photos where, where my hand is in the photo and it's holding a wallet, I made I was very um, careful to make sure that the shadow sort of um, accentuated the divot just to kind of give you a sense of the softness. Um, and then I guess, you know, if, if I was shopping on a, on a different website, you know, some of the photos that I would expect to see, you know, every angle of the product, um, you know, I'd expect to see scale, you know, like how, how does it compare to something else? Like if, if there was a picture of a wallet, how big do I know, you know, other than looking at the dimensions in the product listing, um, how big is it? You know, like put a, put a pencil next to it or, or have someone put it in their pocket or whatever. Um, so like lifestyle photography and, and just kind of. You know, it it doesn't hurt to have a ton of photography. I've never I've never had a customer complain that we've had too many photos. It's always you know too little or not enough information. Right, makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about the CRO, the conversion rate optimization that is now your your newfound passion. So, <laughs> w- what were some of the the biggest uh, changes that you recognized early on that made the biggest difference in terms of uh, conversion rates? 
Yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing thing. Um, so the biggest thing for me is is eliminating uh, customer friction. So we kind of touched on a little bit, you know, having all the product photography in place. Um, you know, things like uh, information. When when can I expect to receive this product? Um, you know, be very transparent about your pricing. We talk about um, you know free shipping. You know that the the dollar figure on our our website is what you pay at checkout. Like no sticker shock at the end. Exactly. Yeah. So you know you, you talk about conversion rate optimization. Essentially, it's it's getting rid of all those doubts in a customer's mind. Um, you know, very early on, I recognize the value of social proof, um, customer reviews. Uh, we've been you know we've been more working very hard to collect a ton of um, of uh, of uh, feedback in terms of reviews on our website. Um, so when customers come here, you know, they can feel assured that they'll receive a product and they'll receive a high quality product just based on, on the reviews. Um, you know, things like uh, tagging us on Instagram, reusing that content on our website, um, you know, sending out uh, what, another another really big big thing for us is, is micro-influencers, and I can touch on that in a bit, but, uh, you know, getting that content and putting it on your website, so having a lot of that um, sort of done for you to kind of ease the customer to to get them to make a purchase, um, you know, good good return policy, warranty, you know, we have lifetime warranty, anything I can do um, to prove to a customer that we're worthy of them spending money, and that, that'll never change. You know, we'll always stand behind our product no matter what. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really happy of, about that. And I, and I feel that as we, you know, sort of embrace all those facets, our conversion rate is, is slowly in, increasing. Um, so I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I'm looking at things on our website and starting to do AB split testing, you know, it doesn't make sense to have a, a, a button that's black versus a button that kind of matches our, our theme, you know, things like that, which are kind of interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So you have this good return policy, lifetime warranty, you mentioned transparent pricing so there's no sticker shock by the time they check out and uh, the social proof of the customer reviews so it sounds like these are kind of things that you learn over time and these were things to address any doubts that a customer may have how do you learn what those doubts are if someone wants to optimize their their site and they want to try to squash some of these doubts where do they begin to find out what those doubts are Absolutely. So, I mean, if you're already getting customers, one of the biggest things you can do is a post-purchase survey, which is what um, what what we've been doing for the last couple of years. So, a really important question is, um, what almost made you not purchase from our website today? So, that's a very important question you can ask your customers. So, they'll give you an idea of what sort of hurdles that they had considered. Maybe they looked at a competitor who is offering something cheaper, or you know, maybe it was difficult for them to find you know, what the shipping costs were or whatever. Those are, those are things that you can start doing right away and, and getting important feedback. Um, you know, if you're not getting customers, I would kind of hit, you know, I would consider, um, you know, putting up social proof, maybe giving away a bunch of wallets to friends and family, have testimonials on your site. Um, you know, the social proof is really important for me. And I think for a lot of people who go to websites, um, you know, I've seen things like um, the Notify app where it shows sort of a, gives a sense of urgency it shows people purchasing or activity on your site. I'm not 100% convinced on that, but like, you know, things things of that nature where you can convince people are are, are considering purchasing from you to other potential customers. Um, so yeah, if I, if I was just starting, I would definitely try to work very hard to get those initial reviews on our website, on, on their website. And, 
you know, prove that you're legitimate and that people have genuine feedback. And another really important thing that uh, I learned, especially with reviews, is, um, you know, embrace those one-star reviews. Keep them on your website. Don't hide them. Um, I think it's important that um, that people, you know, even you know, even if you have like 10 reviews and one of them is a one star, it's still important. And I think that if anything helps boost conversions because people know you're, you're a real store and you're actually making stuff because, you know, it's, it's very easy to pretend. That makes sense. So, so when you are in this stage where you don't have any customers yet and you want to start boosting some of these uh, customer reviews, you, you might be able to give some away to your friends and family in exchange for them to review it for you. What is a good kind of base of reviews to to, to try to get to? Because it sounds like that's something you might want to do first, right? Like if you don't have any kind of optimization going on on the side, you have no reviews, get those reviews in first. Is there like a baseline that you try to recommend people to hit before you start looking elsewhere to optimize? Um, I don't think so. I think that's something that, um, well, I mean... I guess I shouldn't say that, like, because right now I'm not, I'm not trying to get reviews. We have the, you know, we have the stamped app that, that does it for us. But I think in the initial stages, you know, try to get, try to get a few reviews on each product, you know, one or two, depending on the the size of your catalog, um, you know, just enough to kind of, to kind of get feedback, not only from, you know, the customer experience where they're on your website, but product, you know, product feedback, um, it's very important to get real world feedback on that sort of stuff and incorporate it into your website. So it could be, it's valuable for a number of reasons, not just to get those sales, but to also make your website better, but you know, do that in conjunction with your other marketing activities and, and you're, you know, working on your website, working on your product. Um, don't, don't let that be the end all and be all of the, of the e-commerce experience, because there's so many things that make up, um, a customer's buying experience. I think social proof is very important, but there, you know, there's a number of other things that you can look at and work on too. You know, we touched on photography, um, there's product copy that you can work on, um, you know, making sure your, your site works really well in, in, um, on, on mobile as well as desktop. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of things It never ends, but, uh, that's one of the things I really love about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is lack of social proof is a problem that everyone starts with and you kind of Mm -hmm. want to, to to remove that problem. But what is, what's a big common mistake that you see people making in terms of like uh, reducing conversion rates on their stores? Uh, I think it's giving customers too much choice. And that's something I was guilty of, you know, even up until six months ago. You know, you, you, uh, you've heard the term paralysis or analysis paralysis. Um, so that's, you know, a customer goes to a product page. For example, we had a wallet that, you know, was offered in eight different leather colors. And each of those leather colors had like six different, stitching options and you know there wasn't enough photography to kind of show you what all of it looked like and um you know we we would spend half our day answering customer emails you know we would see a lot of people just go to our site and leave it because you know maybe they're going to google to see if anyone else has that color combination that that we didn't show um you know keep it simple make it really easy for a purchase decision you know don't let someone dwell on a, a product page um you know, like I said, have all that product uh, photography ready. Um, you know, narrow it down to just a few things. It's going to make it easier on both ends. You know, especially for your customer, but especially for yourself, because now all of a sudden your inventory is that much easier, or your manufacturing is that much easier. Got it. Are, are there certain tools that you use to help manage this entire process of testing different uh, changes that you're making to your site? Uh, yeah. So I've I've been using uh, Google Optimize. Um, so it's very good for split testing, sort of the HTML, um, sort of aspect, um, you know, in terms of looking at, 
conversion rates for you know reducing our product offerings. Um, that's just as simple as going into the Shopify backend and, and kind of looking at our conversion rates, you know, from this period compared to this period where we switched over. And, um, you know, that in conjunction with lowering our, our dispatch times gave us a, you know, a considerable boost, um, in terms of a conversion rate. Um, so for tools, I mean, just the basic reporting in Shopify and then for the on-site, um, adjustments, I mean, you know, you can make stuff based on your own intuition, but you could also use Google Optimize. Um, so there's a lot of things you could test, you know, like putting trust badges or changing colors or, you know, changing the way your product page is laid out. Those can all have significant impacts. Um, but I, but I kind of want to stress that, like, for that type of conversion rate optimization, it might not make sense until you're, you know, you're seeing a few thousand people a day on your website. And a lot of people are starting out with could, are maybe looking at, you know, 10 to 20 to a hundred kind of visitors. So, um, it's not a bad idea, but like, they're definitely more pressing things to focus on for sure. Like you're saying, like, don't focus too much on like making small tweets when you don't yeah. have a lot of traffic yet. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of this is like a big kind of waiting game and it's almost like counter to the, uh, I guess, attitude of a lot of entrepreneurs, which is like, you have to kind of sit on your hands a bit and not over tweak otherwise you don't mm-hmm. know what worked and what didn't work so especially early on and i think nowadays like you're just saying like if you have over a thousand people visiting a day it's you don't have to have you don't have as much for lag time but when you first started out do you remember how much time you would like give between each kind of test before making a decision well we've we've done we've done other split tests like just you know you know they have a very um good split testing a mechanism for their their pop-ups um we typically you know, ballpark at least a month, you know, let it run for at least a month and just kind of see where you're at. It's, it, it really is a numbers game. So like, you know, if you're looking at conversions, like even Facebook, you know, you're running ads on there, they need at least a hundred conversions before they start dialing in their, their algorithm in terms of finding buyers for you. So, um, you know, you could either look at it as a time length or, you know, the amount of conversions or, or visitors or sessions or whatever, what have you. It's, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard question to answer, to be honest. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe the bigger question is like, would you ever, did you ever feel like you were like a second guesser where you would make a decision and then see things maybe not turning out the way you want, just like within that first day or whatever, and then you just feel like just backtracking, kind of <laughs> getting the whole thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, actually. What do you do about it, that? That never goes away, um, but you can definitely approach it in a methodical fashion. So, you know, like Google Optimize, um, you have your base and then you have the the uh, the experiment. So like you'll have your your website as it is today, normal, and then you have your experiment, which which has the tweak and they'll serve that to a certain portion of customers. And then you'll keep your original to yourself. So like I don't stress too much about conversion rates um, because of that, because you have a test. Um, so like if you're able to split test that kind of alleviates the fears, but you know, things like, um, reducing our, our product offering that, you know, that was a hard pill to swallow. Um, but it, it was based on sort of an educated guess. Um, and it's one of those decisions that you can't really reverse easily. So I think, um, maybe instead of having that regret, maybe just approach your, experiments with a little bit more thought, you know, base it on a certain number of things, um, before you kind of dive in. Um, cause you can, I mean, you can look at, you can look at changes like this in, in so many different ways, but, um, you know, putting a lot of thought into it first will probably save you a lot of headache down the road, but yeah, I think being patient as well, you know, give it some time, see what happens.
Right. And you're saying that if you don't have the patience, I think what you're saying is that split testing helps deal with that kind of uh, pain of waiting because you're now, or I guess the pain of thinking that you made the wrong decision because with split testing, you're, you don't have to go through this whole switching all of your traffic at once. Because I guess the counter to this is just making a change wholesale. Everyone is going to see the new version of the site and then just kind of comparing like time periods and seeing what changed. So you're split testing because you're yeah. splitting the traffic up. It doesn't have to be as much of a concern. Exactly. And then, I mean, there's always such a thing, um, you know, as trusting your gut. And I believe that. But the more, you know, the more that I've been reading and the, and the more that I've seen from, you know, a customer's perspective is it's not really about you as a store owner. It's about your customer and how they think. So it's how they navigate the site. So what works for you as a store owner, an e-commerce person, um, entrepreneur, the way you navigate a website or an e-commerce website is vastly different than the majority of people who are finding you. So, um, you know, that that also helps alleviate any sort of um, discomfort I have when I when I do tests because I think, well, you know, it's it's just going to sort itself out based on how the customers interact with our website. So um, it eventually becomes this big data game rather than sort of a gut instinct. Yeah, I think that's a good point, which is that yeah, you use your intuition to figure out what to test, but never make your decision based off of your intuition. Because I heard this concept of that you don't fill your wallet, you are not the person making the purchase, so don't you don't matter <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. You're, to put it put it bluntly, yeah, your opinion doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you are not your customer. Even if you're, even if you are the demographic that of your customer. You just have a totally different relationship with your store than than a customer does. So you cannot trust your decisions. You have to look at the data, look at your what your customers are doing. So I think that's what you're getting at. So that that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah. Now, now um, these days, what do you? Because like you, you've you've been doing this for a while now. I'm sure you're getting to the point where you're making like micro changes to your site at this point. What are some kind of the, the tests that you're currently running? Uh, so right now we're, we're split testing, um, our pop-ups, our email captures. Um, so we're looking at, you know, does it matter if we offer a 10% versus a 15% incentive to sign up to our email list? Um, so that's a big one that's going on. We've been running that for a couple of months now. Um, the other things I'm looking at, like I mentioned, Google optimize, um, just getting that dialed in right now. So we're looking at, you know, how we structure our product page. Does it, uh, you know, does it help to have trust badges? Does it help to have, um, you know, our reviews in a more prominent space? Um, there's a lot of little tweaks that we're kind of looking at right now. Um, in terms of big tests, you know, uh, <laughs> we, t- we talked about uh, sort of the gut instinct. So we just redid our theme um, a few months ago. And that was solely because um, this theme offered uh, uh, promotional widgets on the category and the um, product pages. And um, the reason why I wanted that was so that we could have our our value propositions on every single page that the customer went to. So, you know, made in Canada, uh, lifetime guarantee, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, compared to our previous site, like our curve, our conversion rate has been steadily increasing. And I think that that's part of it. Um, but unfortunately, it's it's not very easy to, to test themes. So um, I kind of had to go with my gut with that one. Hey, Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. And one thing you mentioned to us in the pre-interview was around listening and who to listen to, who not to listen to. And you mentioned that within reason, do not listen to what other people tell you when starting a business. 
you try it out yourself, learn from it, learn from your failures, and just keep going. So this part about within reason, what does this mean? I think this is the challenge. This is like the gray area that people get into where they they have their own thoughts. And obviously, once people know that you're starting a business, everyone now wants to give you their opinion. How mm-hmm. do you know what it what to take and what not to take? Honestly, uh, for me, it was just doing my own thing. Like just, I wanted to create a wallet that I would carry in my pocket. And, you know, my reasoning was that, you know, if I want this, I'm sure other people do. And that that's kind of how it went. Um, you know, up until that point, I've, I've always kind of had ideas about different businesses and, and things like that. And I was, I would always ask my peers and they would always give me reasons why it wouldn't work. Um, and then, you know, one day I just stopped listening. You know, I just I just went and did it myself. And the only people I listen to now essentially are our customers. You know, they give us lots of feedback, um, you know, based on what they want in a product or what they like to see down the road. Um, but, you know, if, if everyone had awesome advice, they'd all be e-commerce entrepreneurs as well. Um, talk is cheap, I guess, is another adage. Um, there's always a reason why something's going to fail and it's, it's up to you as an entrepreneur to prove them why it won't. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen to people to a certain extent, but don't, um, don't let it, don't let it, uh, change your mind, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like you kind of went the complete opposite approach, which is like, you're not listening, you decide not to listen to anyone other than your customers, of course. But when you're first starting mm-hmm. off, you were just didn't plan to tell anyone maybe you did but but basically you weren't listening to people that were going to just tell you that wasn't going to work so what which what do you think is worse now that you've you've gone through this which is worse like listening too much or not listening enough i'm not not talking about to your customers (laughs) but just like from like your peers maybe even other successful entrepreneurs you know they're going to have opinions as well if you had to choose should you do your own thing and not listen to anyone else or listen to what everyone says (laughs) <laughs> I, I would say don't listen to anyone because uh, what's going to happen is if you listen to everyone, um, you know, I, and another really good example is um, people who are just starting off and they're reading tons of, um, you know, uh, e-commerce or entrepreneur books. You know, they, I could, I got probably about two dozen on my bookshelf, but they're all kind of the same. You know, they're very inspirational and so on and so forth. Um, I would say, you know, don't listen to, to anyone. Just do your thing. You're going to learn from your mistakes. Um, but if you listen to a ton of people, they're all going to give you different advice and you're just going to be paralyzed essentially. And, and eventually you're going to be like, Oh, is it really worth you know doing all this? But, um, you know, one day at a time, just, just, if you have a vision and you have a passion, just follow it through. And, uh, honestly, you're going to succeed. If you're really passionate about it, you're, you're going to make it happen. Yeah. I, I talk, I, I talk to myself about this a lot and I talk to others about this, which is like, there's two approaches to people that are trying to become entrepreneurs there's the people that are, are learning just in case versus people that are doing kind of just in time learning where a lot of times mm-hmm. people just want to spend so much time devouring information because they are telling themselves hey i'm one day i'm going to need this and it's good for me to consume it but i actually think that dilutes action like taking too much information makes you because there's going to be information that's going to take you to tell you two opposite things and when that happens you're not gonna go anywhere you know so there's that then also there's a, the just-in-time learning which is like figure out what exactly is the problem that's right in front of you and then look for the answer look for that answer rather than just you know being open to hear anything decide what's the problem in front of you and then go look for the podcast the books that talk about that specific problem and help you overcome it rather than trying to just be open to anything and everything you want to kind of fill your head with so i think that's an important point that you're making yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Google is your friend. YouTube's your friend. You know, right. that's uh, 
you know, it, it, and that translates exactly to um, when I made my first wallet. You know, I just focused on that one wallet. I didn't, you know, I didn't learn all, you know, the history of leatherworking. I didn't learn, you know, how to make all this other stuff in leatherworking. I just focused on that one product that I wanted to make for myself and learned everything about that particular process. Um, and if you can translate that into how you run your business, you know, focus just on photography for a while or focus just on, um, you know, learning how to drive traffic to your website or just, you know, don't try to learn everything because it's overwhelming. It's, it's still overwhelming for me now. Um, you know, just in time. Yeah. That's a great way to, to encapsulate that. I, I like that. Awesome. So, yeah, so you mentioned this a couple of times, I think that the, the core of the, the value they offer to your in your business is around your customer service and you, you trust your, what your customer says you do you you focused on serving them what do you try to do to make sure that each experience with the customer is something that they'll walk away with thinking like wow that was a great experience like what do you what do you kind of tell yourself or tell your employees to keep in mind when they're interacting with the customer always always put yourself in their shoes so i mean very early on you know, I discovered that when customers are angry or, or treat you rudely, it's because they're having a bad day, you know, that maybe their cat died or, or whatever. It's never it's never about the product. It's always about them. Um, thankfully, we don't have customers like that. Like, it's extremely rare. Um, but the essentially what you want to do is empathize. So if someone gets a gets a product that's that's poorly made or, you know, is damaged or whatever, what would you expect um, a company to do for you? Or how would how would you walk away from that experience feeling like, wow, holy smokes, I want to buy something else from these guys. Um, so that's essentially the the advice that I give our, our customer service um, rep. Uh, so, you know, whenever we get a, I mean, the other thing is being consistent as well. So, you know, maybe, um, someone doesn't like a product, you know, we'll just, here's a refund. That's fine. Keep the product, give it to someone else who might like it. That's kind of how we operate. Um, it's, it's essentially doing whatever we can to make the customer happy at, at whatever the expense is, you know, obviously, you know, if we have a wholesale customer who bought $10,000 worth of product from us and decides to return it all, we might have a problem. Um, but generally speaking, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a problem that costs less than a hundred bucks, um, it's, you know, whatever, that's fine. You know, just, just have the product. Um, and like I mentioned before, you know, we get the, we get the occasional one-star review. We'll reach out to the customer and, uh, we'll turn it into a five-star review, um, just based on, on treating them how we would expect to be treated. Yeah. I think that's a great opportunity that you look for. What are some others that are some of the biggest missed opportunities that you've seen, either personally from your experience with brands or just you've seen other entrepreneurs making when it comes to customer service? Like what are some things that you just see like, this is a great opportunity for you to improve your customer service, but you just see them missing? For sure. I think I think a lot of uh, companies focus on the nickel and diming. So, um, you know, you, you kind of got to think big picture. So lifetime value of a customer, you know, maybe they're not happy with this purchase, but down the road, they're going to remember about, you know, how you treated them and go, hey, you know what? Maybe this would be a good good Christmas gift. Um, so to, to to think big picture, not not day to day. I know it sucks to to refund refund orders, but you have to you have to think of it as building a relationship with your customer rather than just a one off transaction. So, you know, if 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 a company treats me that way, I'm not going to come back. I'm not even going to think about them because they made me feel just like a like a number. Whereas, you know, we treat our customers again how we want to be treated. You know, as people as as uh, as a relationship so um you know you, you thankfully you know there's a lot of 
lot of good examples out there. Um, you know, it's, it's very rare that you see kind of the, the, um, e-commerce site where they treat you like garbage, unless it's a very specialized item you can't get anywhere else. I don't, I don't see anyone really getting away with that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk about micro-influencers. You mentioned this is the marketing strategy that has worked well for you uh, more recently. Which platforms have you focused on in ter- when looking for micro-influencers? Uh, strictly YouTube. Uh, for a number of reasons. So YouTube um, isn't ephemeral like Instagram. So if you if you approach a Instagram user, send them product, there's a post on everyone's feed that kind of vaporizes within 12 hours, right? You, whereas on YouTube, it's kind of evergreen. So um, our strategy is to approach people in a particular niche. So um, this past six months, we've been focusing on people uh, in the everyday carry community. So we look for people who are under 20,000 subscribers, but above 1,000. So that shows us that these people are are really passionate about what they do. So they'd be very good at, you know, um, at promoting our product or, or giving a really honest feedback. So when we approach these, these influencers, we ask them, you know, he, would you mind checking out our product? Uh, there's no obligation to do a review. We'd appreciate a very honest, you know, feedback. We don't care, like warts and all. Be very, be very critical. Um, and so we've had a lot of success with that. And then essentially, what they do is they link back to us on their their video. And um, as they grow, people will see these videos, and Google will pick it up and and kind of boost our our, our engine rankings as a result. Um, and yeah, once you once you kind of get over the 20k subscriber mark, you you find um, the influencers tend to want to be compensated. So that's you know we don't really have much of a budget for that. We're happy to send a, a free product, and and you know whether you, whatever you do with it, it's up to you. But uh, um, so that's kind of why we keep it in the in the low in the low subscriber range. Um, yeah, and then you know the 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 people who are in that area are are very um, like I said. Uh, very enthusiastic, and their their channel tends to grow. So we we kind of grow with them, and uh, we establish really good co- um, relationships through that. Got it. So, so these um, 1,000, 20,000 uh, subscriber YouTubers are they easy to find? Like, how do you even begin to find micro influencers that that will be? Yeah. So that I mean that's a challenge in itself, and we've we've kind of worked out a way of doing it. Um, you know, I, I would be happy to kind of dive into that, but it's it's a fairly like just generally speaking, um, you know, we we build up a database of potential people we want to reach out to, um, and uh, we kind of manage it through a CRM. We use PipeDrive right now, so we kind of establish these relationships, and it allows us to kind of connect with them again down the road. Um, but it was a very it's a very convoluted and um, sort of technical achievement that I'm proud of, but uh, it's maybe beyond the the scope of our conversation <laughs> um but yeah i mean if, if anyone wants to reach out to me or whatever i'd be i'd be happy to let them know how i did that awesome so let's talk about the, the site a little bit so you got you mentioned previously that you guys uh redid the theme because you found a, a particular widget that that uh, worked more in line with the, the messaging that you want to put out there is the was website designed in-house or like did you hire out for it how did how to get done uh so we purchased the theme and then uh i did i you know, I tweaked it to to, um, to my to my liking. So I do all I do all the the scripting and and uh, HTML stuff on my own. Got. It. Do you remember what the theme that you used? Yeah, it's called Impulse. Cool. Awesome. Now yeah. you mentioned a couple apps along the way. You mentioned uh, Stamped. I heard you mentioned Google Optimize. You just mentioned PipeDrive for for CRM. Are there any other apps that that you rely on either on your Shopify site or off of it to help run the business? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a ton. Uh, we're a huge fan of Clavio. Um, Clavio's been, you know, uh, instrumental in, in, in bringing us a ton of revenue, uh, both in terms of, you know, the, the flows as well as customer segmentation, um, which we're just kind of dipping our toes into. Um, the other one that I really like is called Product Personalizer. So um, we offer personalization options on all our leather goods so you can put your name or date or you know whatever you want um product personalizer actually lets you visualize it on the product itself so again you know you talk about customer friction uh one of the biggest pains that we had before was kind of translating um you know what a customer would type on the website to the the picture on the page so product personalizer allows us to do that and it's phenomenal very good support um what's another one uh oh yeah so we we just moved to shopify plus in april uh so we've been using launchpad which is uh which uh, which is a shopify plus app that allows us to schedule promotions which i found really helpful um and then for the day-to-day stuff we use uh shipstation you know for all our for all our shipping so and it helps us uh you know manage our order queue and kind of prioritize um sort of the manufacturing flow in our workshop Awesome. So popoffleather.com is the website, P-O-P-O-V-L-E-A-T-H-E-R.com's website. Thank you so much, Ryan. Now, I'll leave you with this last question. You had a, a your first seven-figure year last year. Now you're looking at this year. What needs to happen this year for you to consider the year a success? <laughs> so we... Um... I'll, I'll keep this brief. So we, we just uh, we just finished uh, a non-tech accelerator program, and one of the biggest uh, hurdles for us was finding a product or pr- sorry production manager, and uh, we just hired him in May. And uh, yeah, all, we're already you know that was my biggest win this year so far, and I think we're it's going to allow us to be uh, even more streamlined and, and efficient going forward. So we're going to be able to, to turn our, 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 make our turnaround time down to three days, um, from two weeks, you know, earlier this year. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be my, my 2019 goal is to, to bring the turnaround time down to that. Awesome. Sounds like you're off to a great start so far. And thank you so much for your time and sharing your experience, Ryan. Awesome. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.